You work hard to build your business. And as a smart and savvy entrepreneur, you understand the importance of protecting your business. This podcast is brought to you in part by True Shield Insurance Incorporated, underwritten by Northbridge General Insurance Company. True Shield Insurance was made for you. It takes a hands-on approach and understands the startup community's culture and needs. Get coverage insurance for your startup starting at just $29 per month. Visit trueshieldinsurance.ca today and get the right insurance solution for your business needs. Welcome to Startup Newsweek, your source for news affecting entrepreneurs in Canada. My name is Cyprian Shalankiewicz and today is May 24th, 2016. In the news this week, Governor General David Johnson honored the recipients of the first annual Governor General's Innovation Awards in Ottawa last week. Six recipients, from Indigenous Arts to Medicine, Tech, Energy and Nanotech, were recognized for their transformative work and positive impact on quality of life in Canada. PI's Business Women's Association has announced a new grant to support women-led businesses on the island to start up and scale up. A Conference Board of Canada study shows that only 100 out of 1.3 million Canadian companies are global leaders in their field. To improve Canada's innovation performance, the Conference Board recommended last week to up this number by increasing mentorship opportunities for talented youth. Halifax-based sports startup Goalline has been acquired by Blue Star Sports, an online company backed by Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones. Goalline helps over 10 million users run their local sports leagues. The company plans to expand across North America through this acquisition. The Canadian government launched a new study last week after highlighting Canada's lag in fintech adoption. Currently, 8.2% of Canadians use a fintech app compared to that of 15.5% in other countries. The study aims to ensure regulations aren't slowing down or creating barriers to innovation. Startup Newsweek is brought to you in part by the Startup Canada Awards, recognizing excellence in Canadian entrepreneurship. Visit startupaward.ca for more information and to nominate a deserving startup, organization or individual. Nominations close July 20th. One of the most important parts of naming your new business is finding an available website name that works. Today's episode is brought to you by .ca. Join thousands of Canadian entrepreneurs who have chosen a .ca domain name for their business. Choose your .ca domain name at cira.ca forward slash startup today. Entrepreneurship doesn't have to be tough when it's cooked right. Co-founder of Relish Gourmet Burgers serves up well-done recipes for startup success. He's Rivers Corbett on the Startup Canada Podcast Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Season 2 of the Startup Canada Podcast Show. I'm your host, Rivers Corbett. The Startup Canada Podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the rallying network uniting Canada's entrepreneurship community. And on this podcast, we connect you, the idea person, the startup founder, the creative thinker with the movers and shakers of Canadian entrepreneurship. Here on the show is where we fill you in on trends and opportunities and possibilities for your next step as an entrepreneur and where we have conversations about advancing entrepreneurial growth and success in Canada. Today's episode is brought to you by Intuit QuickBooks, your partner in building a financially fit and fundable business. Get 50% off, that's right, 50% off QuickBooks online today by visiting intuit.com. 
quickbooks.ca forward slash start right. Do any of our new listeners remember to subscribe to the Startup Canada podcast in the iTunes store? Then visit startupcan.ca to join the network to connect to support mentors, training, funding, space, and to your local startup community. We are just thrilled to have as our guest today, one of Canada's leading finance experts and catalysts is Richard Remiard. He's the president of Remiard Consulting Group, which is an Ottawa-based firm specializing in business issues and public policies involving the Canadian financial services industry. On today's podcast, he's going to give you a bird's eye view of the evolution of Canadian Canada's finance financing environment for entrepreneurs, in particular, discuss crowdfunding and venture capital. We will look at the startup finance levers for growth and gain practical insights into what needs to be done to unleash untapped capital in Canada to fuel the next wave of Canada's high growth business. And we're going to get a little provocative in that approach. As the former executive director of Canada's Venture Capital and Private Equity Association, CVAC, Richard has spent his entire career, well, maybe not his entire career, but his career as a consultant and leader positioning him as a national resource, maybe a national treasure also. <laughs> maybe a national embarrassment. Maybe a national embarrassment. That's right. We'll see if this show actually gets to air after all the editing that has to happen. Richard's going to lend his expertise today to give us advice on crowdfunding, dealing with venture capitalists, and also discuss trends he has noticed within Canada's small business community. Richard, my friend, it's uh, great to have you on the show. It's a a real pleasure being here, Rivers. Well, look, before we get into this this interview, Richard, you know, give us the the you know the Coles book version about yourself, about your career, and what brought you into your own entrepreneurial pursuits before uh, launching your consulting group. Yeah, uh, thanks very much, Rivers. I guess I'm going to apply to myself the standard that all entrepreneurs should apply to themselves, and that is the elevator pitch, the nine second rule. If you can't describe who you are, what you do, why you do it in nine seconds, get off the playing field. That just was over nine seconds, though, Richard. You didn't answer the question yet. (laughs) (laughs) I I was buying time. Uh, Well, you thought about the nine-second (laughs) pitch. Well, thinking furiously. Okay. The the answer is I have long been, ever since my days uh, in the Department of Finance, and the Bank of uh, Bank of Montreal been fascinated with economic growth. How does growth happen? And the answer is there's only one answer, one lasting durable answer, entrepreneurs. People willing to stand up, be counted, and put their money where their mouth is and launch a business. And that's the only foundation there is for long-term sustainable and lasting economic growth in this country or in any other country. Uh, governments can't do it. Uh, praying to uh, to the gods, that doesn't do it. You need people who are willing to stand up, be counted, take an idea, commercialize that idea, and with what I've seen over, over several decades, boundless enthusiasm, uh, right turn what is nothing into something. Yeah. So you're a believer that entrepreneurs are going to save the world. Uh, I'm a firm believer that innovation, which tends to be a kind of a disused, misused, overly used word, uh, is the salvation of mankind. Mm, wow. Per- period, full stop. So on that, on on the grounds of that faith statement, 
that sort of led me through a kind of long and winding and torturous road into where I am right now. <laughs> well, we're total kindred spirits, uh, and I am a firm believer that uh, government is not going to save the day. They may be part of the day, but they're definitely not going to save it. And uh, it's really embracing these those that want to uh, want to take the journey, and those that want to go along with them in that journey. Don't necessarily entrepreneurs, but entrepreneurial fans that are really going to uh, make that all happen. And uh, so, uh, wow, this is going to be a great conversation. And afterwards, we're going to make a note to hang out sometime over beers because we, you and I are, are definitely like thinkers right now and we're going we're gonna to get along just perfect. Well, look, you've been a longtime friend and supporter of Startup Canada and uh, mm-hmm. over the last five years, you've seen the entrepreneurship ecosystem uh, evolve and particularly the funding environment mm-hmm. for startup and, and, and scale up businesses. So, um, in your in your uh, reflection mm-hmm. on that, can you also talk? Because I'm a, I, I always want our, mm-hmm. our our listeners to appreciate just exactly what Startup Canada is doing for that ecosystem that you so uh, adamantly support. Yeah, I think uh, several thoughts come to mind, Rivers. First of all, is that one of the big changes that's come about in part due to the activities of Startup Canada is that the very notion of entrepreneurialism, getting out there, doing your own really good thing, has now become legitimized and and beyond that, celebrated in the wider culture in Canada, uh, in the States, in a few other places too, in Israel. Uh, and that's a major change from the world of even a decade, two decades ago, when people's definition of success was get me a job in a government and 30 years later, ching, ching, all cash out and and be happy with my big fat retirement package. Or same thing for a bank. Wow, get me into a big bank and I'm set for life. Well, the rules have changed. Mm-hmm. People have adapted. Uh, they've adapted really well. And now they're starting to master the new environment. And that part and parcel of that new environment is, hey, we've got something good that we can create here. We've seen successes uh, here in Canada and elsewhere. And how did they happen? Well, they happened because people uh, celebrated entrepreneurs from Bill Gates to Steve Jobs to take your pick of folks decided working in a cloistered, hermetically sealed corporate <laughs> environment, a secu- well, seemingly secure corporate environment, wasn't going to work. It wasn't going to work for their own ambitions, uh, for their ideals, other than that, uh, and wasn't going to work for the wider society. So off they went. So what you see happening, uh, I think, uh, in part via the efforts of Startup Canada, which deserves a tip of the hat for Uh the the proselytizing evangelical work it has been doing for the last several years, is to stand up and say, hey, wait a minute. Uh, And I loop back to our earlier comments uh, in in the interview. Wait a minute. If we want to get to where we think we need to be, then we're going to have to look at how value in the economy is created differently. And what's the best gauge of that? It's people people taking calculated, measured risk. And 
this can sometimes be a challenge for governments uh, because governments, by and large, by nature, are risk averse. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I might be sort of trading on where we might be going down down the mm-hmm. road. One of the challenges is governments, uh, as larger organizations, uh, irrespective of party that happens to be in power or level of government, tend to want to minimize risk. Entrepreneurs want to manage risk, but to take that risk. And so finding a way for the two mindsets to work is going to be an ongoing challenge, irrespective of of the governments of the day. Now, in terms of where we are uh, in turn relative to funding, uh, quite apart from the culture, I think what's happened is is you see different opportunities arriving out of novel organizational experiments. Uh, in Canada, uh, as in some other jurisdictions too, incubators and accelerators. We've got, by some counts, 150 incubators and accelerators that we didn't have five, seven, seven years ago. I remember a speech I gave oh, two years ago on entrepreneurship and uh, and the new economy in which we find ourselves. And after I gave the speech, a lady stood up and said, hi, I'm from the Lethbridge City Incubator, and I have five companies that we're nurturing, and how do we get financing? And I had to scratch myself and check on my map, where exactly is Lethbridge? <laughs> my apologies to everybody in Alberta. My daughter-in-law is from Alberta. Oh, it's in Alberta. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that, that place of oil and gas. It's not that. in PEI, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> to make a point, uh, yes. an incubator in Lethbridge with five interesting early-stage companies looking to grow to that next stage. Secondly, and it's not a... It's not an artifact of uh, the decline in their exchange rate vis-a-vis the U.S. dollar. A number of factors have conspired, changes in cross-border tax policy, for instance, that uh, that have led to increasing interest on the part of U.S. and foreign uh, capital looking to put money into entrepreneurial ventures. So if you look at... Uh, at data released oh last week two weeks ago uh, for 2015, uh, just on the venture capital side, roughly 50 percent of all VC venture capital uh, is coming from abroad. The vast majority of that from the states. Now, part of it is 70 cent dollar, and there's no denying it. But the other mm-hmm. part is uh, high valuations in some markets in the states. Uh, great value, great ideas, great great companies at the early stage here. So you see this, I shudder to use the word invasion, but this this great entree <laughs> into the Canadian market. Yeah, yeah, don't create any controversy at all. I can see <laughs> no, where this no, is going. No, 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 I, I won't. <laughs> and I think as well, uh, what you see happening is is the disintermediation of everything. Uh, and the disintermediation of everything simply means that in today's world, nobody is safe. No mm. business model can count on surviving tomorrow, even though it appear it might appear to be thriving 
today. So who remembers Encyclopedia Britannica? Duh. Okay. That was an obvious one. But no matter where you look across the industrial and financial landscape today, uh, upstart startup companies, upstart startup companies are uh, refashioning the landscape in ways that would have been unthinkable uh, three, four, four years ago. And that means great, great opportunity and an explosion of activity. So in I, I, I've got to segue a bit back to this sense of businesses that are that are uh, uh, you know they're not protected. They're not it's not a given that they're going to be around for a while. Do you think that the culture of our great country is shifting to really freaking understand that, or or are the majority still entrenched? No, I'm okay. I work for the government. I work for the phone company. I work for the power company. Yeah, I think that there are too many. Uh, instances, there are too, too much media coverage yep. uh, to ignore what's going on in that industrial landscape. So if you look at, at banking, for instance, and banking is under assault uh, by what's called generically fintech, and that is mm-hmm. a whole range of startups that are nibbling away at the banks uh, and other large financial institutions, basic business franchise. Isn't it great? And, you, well, depends on where you stand. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, okay. If you're the bank, yeah, it's not too good. But uh, are they are they are they actually scared, or are they saying like the records companies? Oh no, we get this under control. They're not going to be able to touch us. Well, the the public for consumption for consumption and public answer is uh, we've got this under control. We have a long history of innovation ourselves and and because because we've got uh, large resources and a fundamental grounding of trust on the part of our millions and millions of consumers and shareholders yeah we'll be all right jack yeah so heads in the sand is what you're saying however <laughs> excuse me <laughs> however if you look at where some of the very interesting experiments in fintech are going, be it on the payments side or in the foreign exchange and uh, and remittances, remittances side, even these days insurance, uh, you see you see the standard traditional model of a bank with a large balance sheet or an insurance company with a large balance sheet being cut out. Mm. And in the bank's case, in a bank's case, uh, borrowers and savers put together directly. Mm-hmm. Wow. And mm-hmm. there are a number of crowdfunding mm-hmm. experiments and exercises and companies that are doing just this. And this poses, of course, a challenge for regulatory authorities across the globe, just like Uber is posing a huge mm-hmm. regulatory challenge to uh, governments as because how do you deal with a company like Uber, when you've been used to dealing, handing out licenses, mm-hmm. uh, parceling them out, selling them, uh, and creating what some could re- could regard as a cozy little operation, 
Well, the same sort of cozy little operation has been in effect for our Canadian banking institutions for a long time. And that's, that is being severely questioned. Uh, yeah. Severely questioned. So that it's, it's early stages in this particular game. But if you look at the, at the funding for fintech, which has tripled in the past two years globally, uh, that can mean only one thing. Disintermediation, uh, mm. and despite the brave words, something of a challenge for yeah. existing existing players. Well, I'm I'm one for 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 breaking the status quo because the status quo to me is very detrimental to anything that's uh, that's that's good and prosperous. So I, I love that. But let's kind of let's kind of switch. And talking about funding because, mm-hmm. okay. you know, you, you hear all the time for the circles that I go through, and I'm going to say about 70% of the time I hear it, there's just no funding available. We need funding to make it happen. And uh, there's just no funding for the entrepreneurial journey. And we need mm-hmm. to find new and unique ways to generate some funding. Uh, is that is, from your perspective, true or yeah. false? Uh, this is uh, is patently false, mm. and I I'm gonna throw throw a bomb into the uh, love into, it into the into the plaza, and <laughs> and the bomb is uh, right now I think we're in a golden age of entrepreneurialism, and part and parcel of that golden age of entrepreneurialism is a considerable increase in access to capital and supply of capital for entrepreneurial ventures at most stages of the enterprise. Wow. And and that's a big statement, which I'm sure is going to result in hate mail. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so back it up, buddy. Back and, it up. And all the rest. So so, so give us that so, rationale. Where's the, so, where's the so thinking the come from? So the here is, is governments across the spectrum in Canada, even municipal ones, have identified – entrepreneurial ventures with potential to grow not mom and pop pizza pizza stops pizza stores but uh, generally speaking for governments it's high tech and life sciences but high potential companies uh, putting existing business models at risk uh, devising new solutions to long standing business uh, and social problems, uh, governments have been incredibly active. Uh, there's a multi-billion dollar program called the Shred Program uh, for companies engaged in, in R&D. Uh, the incubators and accelerators that are in this country, 150 of them, as I mentioned earlier, are basically funded by government. And they're growing uh, volumes of companies at that early stage that – that didn't used to be the case. Mm. Uh, as well, if you look at what's happening in the angel world, so uh, what are business angels? Business angels tend to be entrepreneurs who have had some success in their life uh, and they want to give back and they want to keep on playing. They want to keep being involved in entrepreneurialism because it's fun. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's lots of fun. Yeah. And so if you look at the at the angel, uh, the NACO, which is National Angel Capital Organization, uh, puts out report has starting put out reports, and they're clocking reported angel activity at around ninety million a year in Canada, and 
And there's probably a lot more that is yet to be reported because this community is just in the earlier stages of getting organized. And, and, and better, more complete numbers will be coming as, as years go by. Uh, there's, there's my friends in venture capital. Uh, last year, 2015, according to uh, one uh, data provider, uh, was probably the best year in five or six with uh, 2.6 billion Canadian in commitments uh, from funds into companies across across the spectrum, early, mid, later stage. Uh, and that's up considerably from three, four, four years ago when we were looking at a billion. Uh, so the numbers have have just about doubled, uh, in fact, doubled and then some. Uh, in crowdfunding, uh, raising capital via social media, period, full stop. Uh, right now we're at a stage where this is about to go into takeoff mode mm-hmm. because governments and their creatures, securities commissions, securities regulatory organizations like the Ontario Securities Commission and the Alberta Securities Commission uh, have all put out draft regulations and it's okay now to go out there and raise capital, uh, either debt or equity capital, uh, via the crowdfunding route. And uh, five years ago, three, two years, last year, it didn't exist. Uh, governments themselves, uh, if I come back to these, these folks, have a wide range of direct tools that are designed to stimulate economic growth uh, and and forge new companies. Uh, we have had historically in Canada a considerable number of economic development, regional economic development organizations. Down in your neck of the woods in Atlantic Canada is ECOA, Atlantic Canada Opportunities Agency. Uh, WDI, Western Development mm-hmm. in, uh, in, in Western Canada, FedNor and Northern, Northern Ontario. Take your pick of them. Uh, they're all over the place, and they've all got, in part, mandates to develop what you could call the, economic, uh, the ecosystem of entrepreneurialism uh, as they try, under their various regional development mandates, to grow activity in in their areas. Uh, there are non-traditional suppliers of capital who a couple of years ago uh, you'd have to you'd have to look under every rock in uh, in the field to actually find. And now it's pretty easy. Uh, and what I'm thinking about here are corporate venture capitalists, uh, whether they're called that by name or whether they're in-house entities. Uh, by the way, this is this is my interview, not yours. You don't get oh, to okay. ask the questions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, what are they called? Wait, wait, wait a minute. I wasn't <laughs> expecting a question. <laughs> what were they called? Uh, it was a, fig- a figure That's of not speech. on the script. <laughs> <laughs> I can't follow scripts. <laughs> I'm hopeless. I'm sorry. <laughs> and if you look at, uh, at the American numbers, uh, 25% of venture capital investing in 2015 was by corporate VCs, mm. corporates, not traditional VCs. You got what I call family offices. Uh, and what are family offices? You got high net worth individuals who might be getting the bulk of their fortune from trucking or finance or beer, and they want to diversify. 
And increasingly what we're seeing is more and more family offices getting involved in entrepreneurial ventures. Uh It's uh, astounding. Uh, The corporate explosion includes, of course, my friends, your friends, banks and insurers, because they're smart guys. And even though they are at risk, they know that they might be at risk and they're starting to fund startups uh, that have the potential of disintermediating them, fintech startups. Mm-hmm. So no matter where I look, uh, there are new new players in the field, whereas several years ago, and picking a time would be kind of arbitrary, but put the pin anywhere you want, 5, 10, 15 years, uh, there were only a few narrow channels to get financing. And right now there's an explosion of channels. So the real challenge facing entrepreneurs, the real challenge, is deciding amongst all these options, where do I go first? Who provides me with better value? So that's so, becoming the the emerging challenge, not getting the money itself, so, getting the sorry, smarter money. Keep going. Getting the smarter money. Getting the money that can is more than just money. So, you know, you had me at a low when you went down this journey, uh, but how come then there's this pervasive um, mentality that says there's nothing out there yet, you've just spent uh, a a good amount of time giving great information that this this is all all taboo, that's all kind of boogeyman type of uh, uh, info that's out there, that there actually is a plethora of, uh, of opportunity. How come we don't know this? Well, it's, it's, uh, it's a very good question. Part of it uh, is old habits die hard. Mm-hmm. And for a very, very long time, uh, people looking to raise capital for something new, something innovative, something with high potential were right. <laughs> they were stymied. There wasn't right. much around. And and we're in a bit of a new era right now, and it takes some getting getting used to. Uh, I think that's number one. Number two is I'll come back to what I said earlier, and and something like what you could call the, the tyranny of choice is working. And the tyranny of choice, uh, I'll take you back to a personal example of mine uh, and my wife when we were in San Francisco a number of years ago. And she said to me, I'd like a nice bottle of California Cabernet Sauvignon to go with dinner. Okay, why not? Okay, let's find a, a liquor store somewhere. And we walked into this gigantic warehouse and we're immediately assaulted by a whole bunch of of sales folks. Oh, you want a Cabernet Sauvignon? Ah, what vintage? Uh, what valley? Uh, what make? Uh, what field? <laughs> so wow. at the end of 20 minutes, we left because there was too much choice and we couldn't make up our mind. Yeah. So we ended up getting a beer at the local bar. <laughs> 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 so much the same thing happens is starting to happen right now. Fundamentally, what we're talking about is is there's always or there there often is uh, a mismatch between the demand for capital and the supply of available mm. capital. And what's taken place in the last two three two three years is that that gap has narrowed. Not eliminated. 
There's not a surplus of capital, uh, although you do see it in some jurisdictions, like in the U.S. and later stage venture capital, uh, where there's been a pullback because of that huge amount of capital deployed into uh, into what they're calling unicorns or yes. unicorn wannabes uh, that in many cases have turned out to be tortoises. And, <laughs> <laughs> and that being the case, that being the case, we're not there yet in Canada. Right. But what has happened is if you think, get a, a mental image of, of on the left uh, supply of capital and on the right Axis uh, demand for capital. All we've done is narrowed the gap somewhat in recent years, and it's unusual. It's different. Uh, it it's meant that those looking for capital uh, carry more of a stick in negotiations with providers of capital than in years gone by. Is the gap eliminated entirely? Not yet. No, no, not yet. <laughs> Well, you've answered. I've I did have a talk about questions. I had a, a, just a ton of questions, but you've you sprinkled your answers <laughs> through all of them, and I really appreciate that. And uh, and uh, I I want to spend the last five minutes t- talking about government. If we oh, could sure. talk about that, and you know, uh, you're often looked to for yep. for thought leadership and yep. uh, and foresight, and uh, and 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 um, I want to I want to make sure we talk about in nine seconds or less what your what your consulting company, what value proposition your consulting company uh, can offer to our audience, because I think that's important with uh, given what we've gone over today. But you got a magic wand in your hand, my great friend, and uh, you can un. <laughs> <laughs> and you get to unlock uh, and your uh, startup funding and later stage scale funding. Uh, wow. What's the top two recommendations? What are the top two things you're going to do with that magic wand of yours besides uh, <laughs> besides get an easy answer for a cab? <laughs> now, I want that wand. Just give me the wand. But seriously, what would you do with that wand of yours with the, the mission that you're on? Well, the, the magic wand says... Provide tax preferences to those in the entrepreneurial and startup communities. Expand existing programs that are targeted at these communities. And thirdly, re-examine the the existing panoply of incentives and programs, some of which may be past their best buy date. And so I'll take it to number one. Uh, I think governments are going to have to uh, think long and hard about the tax treatment of stock options for uh, startup and early stage companies. Uh, um, Right now, uh, and as has always been the case, these companies tend to be cash poor. All available cash reserves are put into R&D, product deployment, marketing, uh, and and the like, business development, well, capital B and a capital D. And the remuneration comes from uh, stock options of one sort or another. So I think that'll be a touchstone to see what, uh, what governments do, especially the new federal government. Secondly, in terms of... Uh, of programs, 
in terms of programs, uh, I think we should take a careful look at all the earlier stage financing tools available and ask ourselves whether or not they are appropriately resourced. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so I'll give you an example. Uh, SDTC, which is Sustainable Development Technologies Canada, active in promoting a clean tech, green tech future for the country. Uh, they'll, they've made considerable investments. They've got two funds. Uh, the current new federal government uh, has promised to up SDTC's annual budget by 100 million bucks. That was in their campaign uh, platform. And the question is, why 100 million? If we're going to get to the COP21, uh, the Paris Agreement Accords, and actually meet the target set by the new government, 100 million bucks might not get us there with SDTC. Why 100 million? Why not 200? Why not 500? Why not think big? So I, I look there. And then thirdly, uh, what's not working? What could be working better? And I don't have a really crisp nine-second Rich's Rules of, of Order answer for that. <laughs> but right now, we're spending multiple billions on one tax program, Scientific Research and Experimental Development Program, SHRED program. And private sector SHRED, uh, private sector R&D performance is lagging. And despite the fact that we're coming into mm. a full bore, into the new economy, the knowledge economy, not the the extractive economy, not just pulling trees out of out of the out of the forest or oil and gas out of the earth or fish out of the sea, but something where there's value add, and that value add lies between people's earlobes. <laughs> Are we getting value for money for this program and a whole bunch of others? So mm. some mm. work required there. How dare you ask that question? <laughs> <laughs> Imagine I mean, the audacity it, it, of asking that I. question. <laughs> uh, it's early days yet for the newly elected federal government. Yes. Uh, I think they've been spending a good deal of time uh, sussing out just what they've got in hand. Uh, they're make, they will be making a big bet on infrastructure uh, and on personal tax uh, reform as ways of stimulating the economy. But we really haven't seen uh, the whites of their eyes insofar as a growth innovation economy because, to be quite frankly, they're getting – Lots of contradictory information from lots of quarters. Right. And it's going to take them a while, I suspect. Uh, there might be first indications in the budget, uh, particularly around clean tech. Uh, and we'll see the reintroduction in the budget of, uh, of what are called labor-sponsored fund tax credits, which were cut, eliminated by the Harper regime in 2013. And they'll be, they'll be reintroduced in, in this budget. But those are those are really early early indicators of uh, of where they where they might be going. Very cool. Well, my friend, we're coming to the end of this interview, um, and uh, I I know that people will want to want to connect with you after this uh, for, for all the right reasons. Uh, 
So tell me though about your nine second uh, consulting company. Give us a, give us a, uh, um, you know, the, the value prop for your consulting group and, and how do we get in touch with you? Uh, well, let me start off with the end first. Uh, you can reach me at r r e m i l l a r d at bellnet.ca. Okay. Or go to my go to my company website remiariconsultinggroup.com. Either one is works fine. I'm in the phone book. <laughs> Easy to reach. Uh, I can run, but I can't hide. And in terms of what the company does, it's really simple. Uh, I work, and the company works with uh, funds with entrepreneurs and with governments on access to capital issues. Most recently with, uh, fairly involved with the uh, BC government and its new tech strategy, part of which was a $100 million venture capital program. How's that? That's awesome. Really appreciate it. Uh, and, pleasure. And I uh, seriously, uh, this has been a lot of fun. And uh, for the audience, Richard and I had a little conversation beforehand. And uh, he's uh, he's a fun guy to hang out with. And as you can tell, he's freaking smart too. Good combination. And and a big fan, obviously, that entrepreneurs are going to save the world. So uh, I'm sure that he would be more than willing to take calls or contacts from anybody on the on this uh, podcast today. So, Richard, uh, you have just been awesome thank you so much well, thank um, you rivers it's been a real pleasure it sure has real and uh, and uh, keep doing what you're doing my friend yeah and i'll see you in the bay day chaleur in january for the polar bear swim <laughs> <laughs> love it <laughs> take care thank you for joining us today on the startup canada podcast a weekly program dedicated to unlocking the entrepreneurial potential of every canadian Want access to even more amazing entrepreneur content? Well, then make sure you check out startupcan.ca for the latest startup community news and upcoming events like the popular online training events, startup chats, and startup school. Visit startupcan.ca forward slash events for more details. And my name is Rivers Corbett. I'm your host. As always, I invite you to follow me on Twitter at Rivers Corbett. I do the same thing with conveying all kinds of cool ideas and uh, conversations with entrepreneurs around the planet to help you guys have super success. And also, I'm pleased to introduce my newest business venture, Coaching by Rockstars. That's www.coachingbyrockstars.com, where I am building an amazing team of business coaches to help entrepreneurs around the planet. If you've got an interest in that, come and check us out. Until next week, I'm Rivers Corbett, leaving you now with a sneak peek of next week's episode. Because I think it's a really, really powerful mission you're on. This is not a program. This is a mission to, of course, enhance skills, but also solve a bigger problem, which I think is all about problem solving and innovation. To me, um, when I, you know, one of the things that we have in a province right now that we're going through, or uh, we have a couple of uh, really passionate people I've gotten to meet in terms of writing a 10-year education plan. You know, I'm soaking myself mm-hmm. in that, um, and this is related to the coding part, is right. that imagine if we had every kid graduating from uh, school where they felt that they are tapped into their full potential, they're tapped into their confidence, and they are problem solvers. Forget everything else. 
Yeah. They were problem solvers and they felt the confidence that if thrown at any problem was thrown at them, they knew how to figure that out because they had the tools and the toolbox to do that. To me, being a problem solver means a lifelong learner, right? Mm-hmm. You don't, it's not about going to high school when you're done. It's like, phew, I, yeah. phew good yeah. luck. I'm glad I'm out of that thing. I don't have to learn anymore. Wrong. Yeah. yeah. That's one of the problems. To me, imagine a province full of problem solvers. We had 730,000 people that every single one of us was a problem solver. This province would be like, or for that matter, province, Atlantic region, we would rip past every single jurisdiction in the world right on. because because of that uh, and because we'd be able to take technology and infuse it in we'd be able to take um, you know everything we're doing and add improvements and efficiencies and innovation we'd be able to create new products and so on and so forth so this is the primary reason why I'm so passionate about coding because coding in school coding is one of those few things and because I, I experienced it myself that made you stop and go Whoa, okay, how am I going to fix this? And you had to fail multiple times before you solved it. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And you embraced that failing. And you embraced it. And it was right. fun. And it was a journey. Mm. It wasn't about study this, regurgitate that, get mm. good mark next. Mm. Right? It was literally about mm, keep trying. That didn't work. Mm, keep trying. Collaborate with friend. What did you do? How did you do it? Oh, look at other code. Oh, that's how they did it. And you were constantly, your mind's constantly going. Once you get your brain kind of in that gear, I don't think it stops because you get the adrenaline attached to that and you're like, oh, I love this. I love problem solving. That is why I think coding is so important. I We need to turn on that part of every kid's brain, which by the way, this is the interesting part. I think every kid comes out of the box with that turned on. Yeah, neat. And the way this, I mean, the education system was designed for the industrial age. And what was the industrial age? Mm. We need to have workers that come out, that comply, and can do the same thing over and over again on the assembly line and do it with a smile on their face. That is not what we need today, right? We need innovators. We got machines that will do that stuff. We need the people designing the machines, designing the assembly line for the machines to do that, right? We need people that can take information, mash it together, solve problems, build on top of stuff, look at how, you know, think about it. If GPS didn't exist, Uber didn't wouldn't exist. And Uber, like everyone's saying, is the largest, you know, whatever transportation company in the world, but owns no infrastructure. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. But that's the way it is, right? It's an yeah. idea. That's an idea out of the vapor yeah. that was created to create an app that ex- that on an app store that didn't even exist like seven years ago. That's nuts. But that is the way it is. And so if we're not training our kids to be thinking about that kind of thing to be embracing that, to be looking at every single platform that continues to be kind of bumped up in terms of technology and capabilities and ways to get things done faster, better, smarter. If we don't equip our kids with that, they're already coming out behind the eight ball. 